Good morning once again. If you uh, have come in since I was up here on stage earlier, my name is still Patrick, and uh, I'm excited to be sharing with you. I'm one of the volunteers here at Venture Church, and today I get to bring you a message from the Word of God because uh, Chris, our pastor, is on his way to scout camp to hang out with a bunch of Boy Scouts for the week, and uh, we're excited for him. Be praying for him and all the other leaders that they can uh, positively impact those boys uh, but uh, let's jump right in. Uh, last, uh, not last week, a couple weeks ago, I started something that I've done before, but I've never done for an extended period of time. Uh, I started a thing that a lot of people do or want to do or pretend to do, but most of them start pretending at the beginning of the year, not in, in May um, or June. Uh, so what I, what I did was I started uh, working out. Um, it's... It's a little weird. If you know me, it, it seems even more weird that I, I'm doing that. Um, but, but I've got some really good reasons that, that I started working out. One is I want to be healthier. You know, I, I'm getting up there. I'm nearly 40 years old, and I understand that uh, things just go downhill once you hit 40. So I'm, I'm starting early to get a, a roll on that. Uh, plus, you know, all those commercials where you see people are like, I'm in the best shape of my life at 38 years old. I'm like, that's what I want to be. I want to I be there. I want to be that guy. So I started working out, um, but it wasn't just to get healthy. I also, uh, I'm a father. I've got four kids between the ages of nine and 17 months. Um, that's a big range, but it's, it's there. They're, you know, they're, they're great kids, and I love them, but I want to be able to go out and play dodgeball with them for more than three minutes without doing this. <gasps> Because I want to win, because I'm that dad. Like, I'm not going to just stand there and breathe hard so they can hit me with the ball. It's not happening. Because I used to be the champion dodgeballer. I'm just saying. Like, that's, that's it. Um, and, and if I'm, you know, I, I'm telling you, I, I'm also, I'm trying to slim down a little bit. Not just get healthier and have more endurance, but I want to look good for my wife. You know, it's a good thing. I'll, I want to do that. You know, last week... Uh, friends that I've known since I was uh, a small child were here, and I went and spoke to them. And afterwards, you know, they didn't seem to have any recognition of who I was. And afterwards, the uh, the wife came up to me and says, "Patrick, I'm so sorry. You've put on so much weight. I had no idea who you even were." And I said, "Oh." Of course, you know that's uh, Biggin Cooper, and uh, so he's like his name is Biggin. I don't know where they got any, but anyway, whatever. Um, but if I can be completely honest with you, if I can be just 100% transparent with you for just a moment, the real reason I started working out is that every once in a while I get a craving for a bowl of ice cream or a candy bar or a piece of cake, and I wanted to, when I partook of those things, to not feel guilty. That's why I started working out. I, I started working out so that when I got to that point, I could be like, yes, I ran two miles a day. I can eat this bowl of ice cream. Don't look at me like that. It is a valid reason. It gets me up in that room right there on uh, that treadmill because that's the one that I can stare at the wall instead of out on the gym. <laughs> gets me up there. And, and you guys do the same thing. You, you really do. It, it may not be about working out, but you, you do the same kind of stuff. You say, I'm going to do this one thing so that I can do this other thing. I know that I'm not the only man in this room that has filled up the dishwasher because there was a game coming on that they wanted to watch and didn't want to have to hear the yapping in the background. My wife's not here today, so I can say that. But you guys don't tell her, all right? Uh, 
No, but it's true. We, we do stuff like that. We, we do things so we can get away with other things. It's a thing that happens in our lives. I call it the five love languages effect. Uh, I do that because there's a book uh, written by Dr. Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages, where he says, if you're in a relationship with someone, what you need to do is figure out what way they hear love, what way they experience love, and then do that thing. So you go, and if you find out that your significant other's love language is uh, quality time, you spend quality time with them, and it fills up this love bank account so that as long as you're filling up that love bank account when you do something stupid, as long as you don't go in the negative, you're still good. It's, it's, it's actually a really good way to do relationships, not just intimate relationships, but like your uh, work relationships and your friend relationships, you know, build it up. And then when you do something stupid, as long as it doesn't go too, dark, too deep, you're fine. You're, you're good. And it works. But it only works for like human relationships. Our relationship with God is something that's completely different. Uh, right now, we're in this series, Romans, the Gears of the Gospel, where we're going through the book of Romans, and we're trying to figure out what those cogs are that make the gospel work, that, that give us the, the path to follow and the ways to get to where we need to go. Because Paul, when he wrote the letter to the, book, uh, to the Christians in Rome, when he, when he sat down and he wrote this out, it gave us a lot of information about the basics of Christianity. He was writing to a group that needed to understand just the, the, the bells and whistles and the most basic fundamental things of Christianity. And so when you read the book of Romans, it's like reading an instruction manual. It's full of good information. And so Chris, a couple weeks ago, he started this series and he started talking about the, the super basics and, and built towards question zero which is why. Why do we do these things? Why is it that mankind has a universal problem that we are apt to ignore God and to worship created things rather than the creator? Why are we more likely to honor ourselves rather than honor God? Why do we need the gospel? Why do we need Jesus and what we learned that week was that even though we all are different, even though we have many things that divide us, that one overarching truth that pulls us all together is that we have a common need for a savior, a common need for salvation from our sins, and that's what the gospel offers. So that was week one. And then last week, Chris came in, and we looked at chapters three, four, and five of the book of Romans, and we learned about faith. And Chris talked about prepositions and how faith is a great preposition because it's through faith. Or through is a great preposition for faith because it's through faith that we get to God. That it's through the gateway of faith that we get to salvation. It's through the doorway of faith that grace can be lavished on us and we can have a chance to be forgiven uh, this week, we're going to push even further into the book of Romans, and we're going to look from the end of chapter 5 all, all the way through the very first couple of verses in chapter 8. Uh, and so if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 20. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. Uh, there are some over there on a shelf that you can get, and you can have those. 
They're free to take home if you want to, to have a good, easily readable version of the Bible. Or if you've got a cell phone, you can pull up your Bible app and uh, use that. It's fantastic. But also, it'll be on the screen here. Sorry that only one's working. For some reason, when both of them are on, they flicker, and it was annoying me, so I stopped it. It's okay. Um, But I want you to think back. Think back real quick before we get into this, this word. When you first heard the gospel, when you first heard that there was the opportunity for forgiveness, when you first heard that there was the chance that you were going to have your sins wiped away, and maybe if you haven't heard that yet, that's a, a good time to, to start hearing that. Um, maybe for you it's something different. Maybe it's the first time a friend forgave you for something. Maybe it's the first time your, your spouse forgave you for doing something really dumb. And you start thinking, what are the questions that you had there at the beginning? Uh, my family and I right now are on a really epic journey. We are watching through all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies as a family together. Like we're sitting down, popcorn, dinner, the whole nine yards, watching all of these movies. And I got to tell you, some of them like super still hold up. Like we watched Iron Man and it was 10 years old at that point and we're just like, man, this is still a really good movie. Uh, but this past weekend, we finished, I think, uh, movie 13, uh, which was Guardians of the Galaxy. And I got to tell you, it's one of my favorites. I, I love the humor in it. Uh, I love the character building that happens in it. But there is a scene at the very end of Guardians of the Galaxy. And if you haven't seen it yet, it doesn't really give you that big of a spoiler because you kind of feel like they were going to win since they're the Guardians of the Galaxy. But it's after they've won. The Nova Corps, which are like uh, the space cops uh, on the planet that they save, come to them and, and say something special to them. So let, let's take a look at this clip from Guardians of the Galaxy uh, right here. I have a family. They're alive because of you. Your criminal records have also been expunged. However, I have to warn you against breaking any laws in the future. Question, what if I see something that I want to take and it belongs to someone else? You will be arrested. But what if I want it more than the person who has it? Still illegal. That doesn't follow. No, I want it more, sir. You understand? What are you laughing at? Why, well, can't have a discussion with this gentleman? What if someone does something irksome and I decide to remove his spine? That's... That's actually murder. It's one of the worst crimes of all, so... Also illegal. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think this, we, we can understand this. I, obviously, these guys are a little bit more on the sociopath side of things. We're not going that crazy. But we ask that question. All right, so you've forgiven me. You, you've cleaned my slate. You've wiped it clean. But what happens when I screw up again? What happens when I fail to do what you've asked me to do? What happens when I, I sin again, when that comes on? <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> I went the wrong way, right into the mic. <clears throat> but uh, what happens then? I mean, what happens when I mess up again after you've already set me free? And one of the amazing things that I love about God is that even though he is so far behind our comprehension, even though he is so vast and so amazing and so wild that we could never possibly contain the knowledge of him, that he completely understands the human brain and how it works. He knows that we're going to ask these questions. 
That's why in Romans 5, he gives us the answer through the Apostle Paul. Romans 5, uh, verse 20. It says, the law was brought in so that trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He figured it out. He, he solved the problem. He said, if you mess up again, I'll forgive you again. Where sin increased, grace increased. Well, I did. I, I, that's all we need to know, right? That's all, that's all we got to have is that if we sin more, God forgives us more. It's all, that's it. That's all you need to know. We can go home. No, wait. That, it just doesn't sit right, does it? It doesn't make any sense. That's not what we've been, been taught uh, all the way. And that's because when you look at the Bible, we see these book, chapter, verse things that are happening. And we go, oh, that's the end of the chapter. That must be the end of the thought. That must be the end of the idea. But what we've got to remember is that when Paul was sitting down, he was writing this letter to the Romans he didn't mark down book, chapter, verse. He, he didn't denote, this is the end of this thought, go on to the next chapter. I don't know who did that, and I kind of want to ask them why they broke this up here. Because the next verse, chapter 6, verse 1, ties directly into what's going on here and gives you a better picture of what's happening. So here it says, go back to uh, the verse 5, or verse 20. The law was brought in so that trespass increased, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, that makes more sense, doesn't it? If we fail, God has enough grace. God has enough power to cover us. But that doesn't mean that we should go on failing just because we're going to be forgiven. Paul says, should we continue in sin that grace may increase? The NIV says, by no means. Uh, if you look at other English translations, they have some other really uh, cool ways of saying it. Um, the, the King James Version says, God forbid. God forbid. Uh, the, the New Living Translation says, may it never be. And, and I think my personal favorite, the ESV says, absolutely not. Because you can just see Paul as he's writing it. Should we continue in sin? No. Like, what, what do you think? Why would you even consider that? Why would that be a possibility? And maybe that's not a, a thought that's crossed your mind. But it's there because it crossed somebody's mind. It's there because someone had that problem. And they said, well, God's just going to forgive me. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Because it's okay. I'll get there. But Paul says that's not what it's about. And I, I think part of that is because... We shouldn't be aiming for failure. A Christian or not, follower of Jesus or not, failure shouldn't be our goal. We shouldn't go, you know what, today I'm going to get up and I'm just going to ruin my life. That's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up today and I'm going to make every bad choice I can make and it's going to be the, the best day ever. I think I'm going to drink and drive today. It's going to be awesome. No, that's not, that's not the way we should live our life. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even more so, we should not be making decisions like that. We should not be living our, our life like that because of this next verse that comes up. It says, or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that as, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too 
may live a new life. Before a person comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus and his gospel, they're in a relationship with sin. And it's not just like a fly-by-night kind of relationship. This is like a deep common law marriage kind of relationship that you're in. And the only way to get out of that relationship is to die. To die to that relationship, to die to those things. And that's where Jesus comes in. That's where the gospel comes in. Because Jesus came to this world fully God and allowed himself to be wrapped in a fully man body. He lived and he grew and he was sinless, making no mistakes, making no bad choices, living his life perfectly, and then allowing himself to be beaten and brutalized and hung on a cross so that he could die to break up our relationship with sin. So that he could die to stop what we have going on in our lives and make them better. And baptism that Paul mentions here is the moment when we join Christ in that death, when we make it our own. It's the moment when we get to truly walk through that gateway of faith and into eternal life. Keep reading in Romans chapter 6 with me. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin. You know, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. Once you've become a follower of Jesus, once you've gone through that watery grave, you're supposed to be dead to sin, completely and utterly dead to sin. And, and, and because we're supposed to be dead to sin, we should live our lives differently. We should make different choices. We should live differently. We should act differently. We should be different because we're supposed to be completely done with sin. Paul goes on, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves as an, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves as, to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin will no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Man, grace. Grace that comes in and gives you the freedom and forgiveness that you could never earn while withholding the judgment and the wrath that every one of us deserve. Guys, think about it. You don't become saved because you stop sinning. You don't inherit eternal life because you learn how to make better choices. You are not given forgiveness and peace and purpose 
because of anything that you could ever possibly do. It's when we join Jesus in death through baptism that we are set free from sin. That we're set free from sin. Isn't that amazing? Be honest with yourself for a second. When is the last time that you truly felt free from sin? The last time you really felt like you had it all together, that you were on the right path, that you were doing every single thing in your day exactly the way God wants you to do? Or have you ever felt that way? It's hard. It's so hard because the world that we live in likes to celebrate sin. It likes to bombard us with sin, to put in our heads constantly and consistently that, you know what, sin's not that bad. Sin is okay. Sin is good. And they does it to the point that even though we've been freed from it by the grace of God and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, we still have to choose constantly and consistently every day to do the right thing. And not because we want to be righteous or because we want to seem righteous or we want to seem like we're on the right path, but because God has already given us righteousness. Skip down to verse 16. Don't you know that when you, were, uh, when you offer yourselves as, someone obe- as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteous living, a righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves from, to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap from those things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. When I first started out in ministry uh, many moons ago, I had a theory that I like to, to expound, that I like to, to go and say, I understand sin and I know what's going on because I, I thought I had it figured out. You know, I would go in and say, you know what, I get it. I get it, sin is fun. You know, if sin wasn't fun, nobody would ever do it. You know, if sin was poking yourself in the eye with a hot fire poker, Everybody, like, no, I don't want to sin. You know, if sin was walking across the shag carpet that was strewn with Lego, everybody would be like, no, I'm good. I don't, I don't need that in my life. I don't need that kind of pain, and I don't kind of need that kind of suffering, that kind of torment. But as I've matured in my faith, as I've seen more of what the world has to offer, I, I've come to a little bit of a tweak on that. Guys, sin isn't fun. Sin just looks fun from the outside. Sin isn't enjoyable. Sin is just being told to you by the people that are stuck in it and the pain and suffering, not understanding what's happening to them, that it's enjoyable. The the world is trying to push that on you and say, no, this is good. This is okay. This is fun. This is awesome. This is great. And I think it's the most ingenious thing that the devil has ever done because it makes us question, well, maybe, maybe I should be a part of that. But I feel like when that happens and when the world is pushing that, that Romans 6.21 needs to be screaming in our heads. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? 
those things result in death. It should be screaming in our head when we start looking at sin and going, man, you know what? That really would be fun to go and do that thing. But it only results in death because that's all sin's ever going to bring you. That's all that it's ever going to do is bring you death and pain and suffering and torment. But there's good news, guys. We have been set free, free from all of that. Continue in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 22. But now you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God. The benefit you reap now leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We get to choose to not die. We get to choose to be a slave to righteousness. And once we do that, we move from the burden of sin to the joy and the task of righteousness leading to holiness. And it allows us to experience a life that we were always intended to live. Uh, To simplify that a little bit, basically what happens is the more that sin ends, the more that life begins. The more we get away from those things that drag us down, the higher and faster we're going to run towards God. This is what offering ourselves as slaves to righteousness is all about. The reason Paul says he's using an example from everyday life is because he's trying to show those people there in the first century that understood slavery, that understood servitude and indenturehood and all of those things, since I put the wrong suffixes on both of those words, but they understood that. They got it. They knew people who were slaves. They may have been slaves or owned slaves, and they understood how bad that was because you may have become a slave because you couldn't pay your bills. But you don't get paid as a slave. The only thing that you get is longer as a slave, longer tormented, longer tied down, longer stuck there in pain and torment, not able to do the things that you have been freed to do. And he says that's what slavery to sin is like. But slavery to God is different. Slavery to God gives you benefits immediately. Choosing to be a slave of righteousness gives you good things right here and right now. But there are some limitations. There are some things that we have to give up in our lives. Namely those things uh, of sin We've got to step away from those. We've got to be dead to those. We've got to act like those things don't exist in our lives anymore and move away from them. But it seems like such an easy choice. Do I want to die or do I want to live forever with God? Do I want pain and torment and suffering or do I want peace and love and joy? It seems like a no-brainer. Like a small child could come up and be like, yeah, I'm going to take this, this side every time. And yet... So many of us still make the mistake. I'm counting myself in that. We still choose death sometimes. That moves us a little bit into chapter 7. And when you start reading the beginning of chapter 7, it seems like Paul is going along and he goes, wait, let me just step over here real quick and tell you this other story 
that has nothing to do with what I was just talking about, and then I'll pick up for more there. But as you read through it and you look at it and you think about it and the mindset of what's going on there in the first century in Rome, the people that he's writing to, he takes it aside and says, let me tell a different metaphor to connect this same information. He's talking about slavery, and he's going through slavery, and he's looking at slavery and saying, this is what it's all about. And he says, but when you die, you become freed from being a slave so that you can choose to be a slave of someone else, namely of God. And then he goes into chapter, uh, chapter 7, and he starts talking to the people that understood the law, to the Jews that had heard about Jesus and had believed in Jesus and become Christians. He's talking to them, and he says, maybe you'll understand this better. And he gives a spectacular metaphor, verse uh, 2 of chapter 7. For example... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. See, doesn't that sound like just way off the mark? Like Paul's just going through, hey, slavery, 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 marriage. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything about that. I think they're two separate metaphors for the same thing. I am not saying that marriage is slavery. I, that did not happen. Um, but if you understood the plight of the Jewish people, in the first century. They have gone through for millennia believing that they had the one path to God. They had gone for thousands of years throughout their history, throughout their traditions, throughout their lives, being taught that the only way to God is through Abraham. The only way to God is through the law of Moses. And if you don't follow that law perfectly, then you have no chance. And Paul comes in and that whole first part of Chapter 7, he's going through and he's looking at the law and he's saying, you're, it's like you're married to the law. But it's okay, you can get away from that. But they didn't want to give up their traditions. They didn't want to give up their identities. They didn't want to give up who they were. I, I can relate a little bit, I'm, I'm going to be honest. You know, I, I joined a new team recently. I, I've switched sides recently. I, I've become part of Team Gym Goer and Team Healthy. But I want to keep those old habits that I've got uh, from, you know, team couch potato. I mean, well, let's be honest, team computer potato. I guess that's the same. It's whatever. But, you know, I'd rather sit around and not do anything and not get up and not go. But I've got to change my life to be on this other team. I've got to change my habits and the way I eat and the way I hold myself and the way I drink water and the way I give up some of those treats that I'm working so hard to be able to eat. The Jews were having to do some of that. Break lifelong habits so that they could be part of this new thing that was so much better for them. This new thing that was going to give them life. Because when you look at the law, what the law does, and Paul lines it up in in chapter 7, he's going through and he says, basically, we didn't know what sin was until there was the law. And not that the law is bad, but the law is going to show you what sin is and it's going to make sin more prevalent in your life. And you're not going to know what it is to covet until the law tells you not to. And then you're going to... And he lines it all up and he says, but here's what's important. Verse 6, but now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way out of the spirit and not in the old way out of the written code. He says, once you have died with Christ, not only are you dead to sin, but you're dead to the law that held you bound to this earth and to this flesh. 
He says, it's not about the rules anymore. It's not about following this code anymore. It's not about all of that. It's about doing what's right and what's good. It's about making a choice in your heart and in your spirit to follow God. It's about choosing life and choosing righteousness. And I got to tell you, I have no doubt that that's what we want to do in here. We want to make that choice, whether it's your very first time ever stepping into a church service today, or if it's your 300th time here at Venture, I can say that you're here and your being here shows that you want to choose the better. You want to choose righteousness. You want to make that choice from death to life. But I also know something else about everybody else in this room. We're all going to fail. We're all going to fall. We're all going to mess up. We're going to turn away from God. And it may be for just a moment. It may be for a split second. It may be for a breath. But it may be for years. Maybe you're on the back end of that. Maybe you're on the front end of that. Maybe you're in the middle right now. And it's not because we want to. And it's not because we've sat down and made out a pro and con list and said, yeah, you know what, it'd be good to just go against God today. No, it's because we're human. It's because we live in a world that has fallen and God understood that. The second half of chapter 7 is all about this idea. Listen to what Paul says. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know the good itself is, does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I want to do, I do not want to do, it is no longer I who live, but sin who is living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Guys, this is, this is Paul. This is Paul who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and got up a changed man. This is Paul who spent the majority of his adult life going around, ministering to people, teaching them about who Jesus was. This is Paul who started more churches than I can even imagine that happened. Just the records that we have tell us that he did a great job. This is Paul who wrote the bulk of the New Testament. This is Paul who says... For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Guys, if Paul is going to fail at being dead to sin, then God knows I am too. And I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. God actually knows that we're going to fail. 
God actually knows that there is not a chance in the world of keeping the law. That there is no way that we are going to move through this world sinless. And that's why I believe Paul asked this question in the next verse. He says, what a wretched man I am. That's just finishing up what he was just talking about there. And he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He says, who will rescue me? Who will pick me up when I fall? Who will help me when I fail? Who will put me back on the right path and say, walk this way, follow me this way. This is what's good. This is what's right. This is where you should be. And it gives us the answer in the next verse. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So that then I myself in my mind may be a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. What? What a beautiful answer. Who's going to save us? Who's going to pick us up? Who's going to help us out? It's Jesus. It's Jesus that's going to come in and help us. It's Jesus that's going to set us free. Because even though I may be a slave to sin and I may struggle and I may fail and I may think I am the worst because of the things that I have done, Jesus still loves me. Jesus is still on my side. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Freedom from sin through the death of Jesus. It's the most beautiful thing that has ever happened in this world. Because I know I feel like Paul a lot. That I know what I want to be doing. I know the good I should be doing. I know the things that I want to have and my heart delight in God and in his word. And I still make such dumb mistakes. I still fall in such simple ways. But friends, this is our gear today. This is our cog. This is the gear of freedom, the gear of life from death. And I gotta tell you, it works so well with the gear of faith that Chris talked about last week. They, they, they mesh perfectly like a fine German clock. And they not only turn in unison, but they build each other up and strengthen and make each other more efficient and more effective. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if on your walk with Jesus you are miles and miles and years and years in or if you haven't even set foot on the path. I don't know. I, you may have showed up today just because you heard there was free coffee and sometimes Jimmy brings donuts. That's okay. You're here and that's beautiful. 
But what I do know is that no matter how many times you've fallen, no matter how many times you've stumbled, no matter how many times you've jumped into sin with both feet and what stupid experiences you have experienced and what mess-ups and screw-ups and life has thrown at you, I know that there's still hope. That as long as you are breathing, that there's still hope. There's still enough grace in God to completely rewrite your story. To change your forever. And all it takes is making the choice. All it takes is that next step. And maybe for you the next step just means coming back another week. Coming back and and hearing what else the book of Romans is going to throw at us. Seeing what other gears of the gospel work together to make the whole thing possible. Or maybe it's accepting the freedom and forgiveness that God has offered to you. To recognize that you don't have to be stuck in that sin that you're struggling with. That you have a Savior who loves you. And you have a family who loves you. That will help pull you up and pull you out. So should we continue in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. Pray with me. Gracious Father, I thank you so much for all that you are. I thank you for all that you do, for giving us 